Hey folks, another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. Yesterday, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that the district court could review the DOJ's move to dismiss all charges against former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, who had pled guilty to making false statements to the FBI. Meanwhile, there are developments in the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and in the case of Kyle Rittenhouse, who faces murder charges for fatally shooting two people during protests sparked by Blake's shooting. And White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows is defending the Trump administration from allegations of Hatch Act violations during last week's Republican National Convention, saying, quote, nobody outside of the Beltway really cares, end quote. Anne and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, including the newly launched United Security and Cyberspace podcasts, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. College students with a valid.edu email qualify for a discount. Head to cafe.com slash student and sign up at a lower rate. Again, that's cafe.com slash student. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. So in the wake of the shooting, there have been protests, uh, I think understandably. And then there have been people who have traveled to the protests from outside the state. One such person, as we mentioned, Kyle Rittenhouse, 17 years old, armed with a long gun in the midst of a protest. And there's some controversy about exactly what transpired. There's some video that has been shown and people are drawing, in some cases, dramatically different conclusions from the video. Essentially, what we know for sure is that Kyle Rittenhouse shot three people, killed two. And before we get into what we think of of the conduct and whether it was lawful or not, the local prosecutor has immediately charged Rittenhouse with um, a series of significant crimes. Six counts. First degree reckless homicide, two counts of first degree recklessly endangering safety, first degree intentional homicide, attempted first degree intentional homicide, and possession of a dangerous weapon by a person under 18. So quick charges, serious charges, among the most serious you can bring, and yet there are people, up to and including the President of the United States, and people like Tucker Carlson, who are not only decrying the charges, but basically saying things like, We do know why it all happened, though. Kenosha has devolved into anarchy because the authorities in charge of the city abandoned it. People in charge from the governor of Wisconsin on down refused to enforce the law. They stood back and they watched Kenosha burn. So are we really surprised that looting and arson accelerated to murder? How shocked are we that 17-year-olds with rifles decided they had to maintain order when no one else would? How do we have such a gulf of a, uh, between the charging decision here by the local prosecutor and the things that some people are saying in his favor? Well, I think we even have to go back a step, which is that after the shooting of Blake, there were a number of protests that, I mean, obviously nationally, we've been seeing Black Lives Matter protests, but in Kenosha, Wisconsin, there have been a series of protests just continually demanding reform to the police department, the resignation of the police chief and the sheriff. I mean, it's been it's been largely peaceful protests. Now, one thing I think that's important to understand is that there has been like this movement by groups that are against the protesters. And so there have been 
right-wing groups. There have been white supremacist groups that have been posting on social media. Um, There have been sort of defend our towns against rioting and looting posts that have been going on social media. Some of the groups are, um, you know, sort of are stated to be pro-Trump. Many of them are just right-wing extremists. And so there's been this sort of marshalling on the right of the these counter forces to the demonstrators. And so Rittenhouse was there as part of, he shows up at these sort of counter demonstrations to sort of ostensibly protect property from looting. And so I think we just have to be honest about what's happening, which is that there are protests, they're largely lawful. There has been some looting and rioting, which of course, you know, everyone, we condemn that very strongly. It has no place in this. And then you have this sort of counter thing on the right that looks to be almost, you know, exploiting or taking advantage of this unrest in cities and communities that's that's basically putting it in a position where, so you now have the police and folks in a community trying to make sure that the protests are peaceful. You now have them dealing with the anti-protesters who are coming, many of them armed, like Rittenhouse, who are escalating conflicts. And so you have this, what I think is a really, it's just a tinderbox. And so we've, we've now seen this happen with Rittenhouse shooting murdering two people and having one person injured. But this has also happened in other places. In Portland, there was an individual who shot and killed that, who was murdered, who was basically wearing a hat that was affiliated with a right-wing group. And so, you know, you've done a lot of terrorism work, Preet. Like, this feels to me like there is, and I don't know whether we would classify some of this as domestic terrorism, but there's there's a real undercurrent here that makes me very concerned of what we're seeing play out in cities. And Rittenhouse is a part of of what we're seeing play out. Yeah. I mean, there are too many people who are seeking violence and violent confrontation. And you have politicians like the president who are basically looking like they're inciting violence and taking sides, as opposed to having everyone come out and take down the temperature and promote peaceful protest and discourage people from being armed and going to protest whatever side you're on. I think it's exactly right what you said. There's a tinderbox situation. And at at any moment, you know, a match can light the fuse and it can get even more out of hand than it is already. So look, so the facts are with respect to Rittenhouse that he shot three people, two were dead, and he's been charged. The only thing he can assert, given that there's no defense you know, to his not being the guy, right? Like when, when you have a homicide case, there are two things that you can argue. It wasn't me. Or it was me, but I had the right to self-defense. And so in this case, he's only got the second thing. And the state laws about self-defense, you know, are interesting. It doesn't come up that much in in federal prosecutions. But in in Wisconsin, people should understand a couple of things about the law of self-defense. Because the president himself, from the White House podium, has basically rendered a legal conclusion and said, You saw the same tape as I saw. He was trying to get away from them, I guess, it looks like, and he fell, and then they very violently attacked him, and it was something that we're looking at right now, and it's under investigation, but I guess he was in very big trouble. He would have been, I, he probably would have been killed, but it's under, it's under investigation. I don't think that the president has read the Wisconsin statute, but luckily for our listeners, you and I have. And among other things, the self-defense law in Wisconsin says... The actor, meaning the person who did the shooting, the defendant, the actor may intentionally use only such force or threat thereof as the actor reasonably believes is necessary to prevent or terminate 
the interference. And that means the interference with his or her person by another person. And then importantly, it says, the actor may not intentionally use force which is intended or likely to cause death, which would be shooting, or great bodily harm, unless the actor reasonably believes that such force is necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm to himself or herself. So the question is going to be, with respect to each shooting, remember that, you know, facts evolve and circumstances change. And I don't think we have a full video of the whole incident. The question will be, did Rittenhouse reasonably believe that he was about to be on the other side of imminent death or great bodily harm? And you'll have to make an assessment. Another important point, and then I'm wondering what you think about all this, there's this legal concept of provocation. And if you're a provocateur, if you're the one who engaged in a provocation, that may render you unable to assert self-defense. And so the provocation law in Wisconsin says, quote, a person who engages in unlawful conduct of a type likely to provoke others to attack him or her, and thereby does provoke an attack, is not entitled to claim the privilege of self-defense against such attack. And then it goes on to talk about imminent danger of death and great bodily harm. Both of those concepts are at play here, and it's going to matter, not just whether he thought he was under threat of imminent death or serious bodily harm, but whether or not he did something to provoke the reaction of the other protesters. So it gets a little complicated, right? And and just to add to that on, on provocation, it does get complicated. And if you provoke someone, then you have to, like, Rittenhouse would have had to basically to use deadly force, would have had to have reasonably, quote, reasonably believe that he has exhausted every other reasonable means to escape from or otherwise avoid death or great bodily harm. And so it really is a situation where if you provoke somebody, you can't shoot them because they're they're coming towards you. You know, it it's a very high burden. Like you have an obligation to try to escape or to basically do something short of using that level of force. And what what's really important in this case, Preeta, is I think also you have to remember that there's been reporting in Wisconsin that Rittenhouse and some others brought weapons to a used car lot to try to defend that allegedly defend that used car lot. So people are getting injured, and our job is to protect this business, and part of my job is to also help people. If there's somebody hurt, I'm running into harm's way. That's why I have my rifle, because I can protect myself, obviously. They are not entitled to do that under the law. That is the job of the police. And so, you know, the police are not asking them to go out and protect the neighborhoods and the used cars. So they are there basically of their own decision to go out armed. It is a carry state, not under the age of 18, but people can be armed in the state. But they're not allowed, like, they're not allowed to be doing what they're doing, right? And so you, you sort of get to this position of it's hard not to see that as in some ways beginning this question of like, you know, are they provoking something even just to start by basically going out there armed and getting into arguments with people? And then, you know, there's also a video of one of the individuals who is, I believe, shot and killed by Rittenhouse throwing a plastic bag in his direction. We should be very clear that if it comes to self-defense, you cannot shoot someone because they've thrown any type of bag at you, right? It has to be in that moment that you fear that they are about to kill you or cause serious bodily harm to you and you're in imminent danger. And so I think that the self-defense, I absolutely agree with you. Rittenhouse is going to argue self-defense. I agree it's going to be one by one. I think it is a very high hurdle for him to meet and particularly 
on the provocation piece because he shoots someone and then he's going to argue that people were trying to basically stop him and that's why he fired the second and third shots. But if they're trying to stop him, they're trying to stop him because he's just shot someone and he's trying to leave the scene. Yeah, I think with respect to the second, whether or not he was a, a provocateur is going to be important. He will also be able to argue, I think the reporting is, that at least one of the protesters that was chasing him or surrounding him also was armed with a firearm. And that will change the calculus as well. There's just one more part of the provocation law that I want to read. I'm very fascinated by Wisconsin self-defense law, because this may apply in this case, if you think about the mindset of the people who were the counter-protesters who traveled interstate to come to this protest. And this part of the law says, quote, and think about how this applies to Rittenhouse, quote, a person who provokes an attack, whether by lawful or unlawful conduct, with intent to use such an attack as an excuse to cause death or great bodily harm to his or her assailant, is not entitled to claim the privilege of self-defense, end quote. Now, we can discuss whether or not that has application to Rittenhouse, and we maybe don't know his state of mind. But that concept, I worry we're going to have to come back to in the future, as there are undoubtedly people who are counter-protesters and support certain views who are going to be going to places absolutely with an intent to have an excuse to impose bodily harm or death with their weapons and we'll see what happens there. But but it's an important provision in the law that takes into account people who are going to show up and pretend that they're engaging in some lawful conduct, like being substitute police officers and menacing protesters in a particular way, to provoke them into having a justification to shoot, and that doesn't fly, at least not in Wisconsin. But I agree. I think it will be I think it will be litigated. Two two other questions for you, Preet. One is, I mean Traditionally, federal law enforcement agencies like the FBI, they have tracked white supremacist groups. They have tracked these movements, the the right-wing extremist movements, um, the armed militias. I assume, I mean, there are a lot of postings on social media. I assume that they are tracking them. And I think, you know, one of the questions I've had in my mind is what are they doing now to negate that? What are they doing if they know that there's going to be a gathering and, they know that there are potential problems. You know, what is federal law enforcement doing? And have they been told to stop doing what they used to do? Because they, you know, in my experience doing, you know, hate crimes cases, these groups are tracked very closely. Sometimes not, you know, you could understand someone who's a fringe individual, who's a lone wolf could come out of nowhere. But when you start talking about these sort of organized groups um, that are posting on social media, that are using sort of public means to get the word out to folks to attend, like, I just sort of wonder what counter moves the government is taking to try to negate this. Because it really is, like, the minute that you let this situation evolve into protesters and counter-protesters who are armed, like, it really is the, again, the results are not going to be good in most circumstances. And so I just sort of wonder what you think. Yeah, it's hard to say. I think that the FBI director, Chris Ray has talked about these threats, I think, in a reasonable and balanced way. Some of the politicians talk about, you know, one side versus another side and and draw distinctions that I'm not sure are, are right and proper when we're talking about public safety. But, you know, I hope it's true that things are being tracked in the way that they have been in the past, but it's it's, a, it's impossible to know. So one other thing, Preet, I just, I, I just, I've had in my mind, I just wanted to 
talk through with you a bit is that as as nationally, there are these conversations about defunding the police, and it means you and I have talked about this. What that means, no one knows for sure. It means a lot of different things to different people, but there is one very extreme version of it, which is that. I hope you've enjoyed this sample of the Cafe Insider podcast. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the Insider community, thank you for supporting our work.